Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms and I'm the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to do something that I think is really important. In this sermon, I'm preaching on Jesus appearing to someone after he died and came back to life and how that appearance changed the person's life forever. While I hope that all of my sermons are impactful, I think that this one can be particularly valuable because it shows how belief in Jesus, his death and resurrection, can change lives. It can bring peace from our inner struggles, reconciliation with our enemies, forgiveness from our guilt, purpose that goes beyond our circumstances and our lives, and life that goes beyond death. It brings hope to the hopeless, forgiveness to the guilty, and worship to the doubter. It's a big deal. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Can you think of someone that needs what belief in Jesus, his death and resurrection, has to offer and share it with them? I know that that is kind of a big request, but belief in Jesus changed my life in such a wonderful and profound way, and I want others to have that same experience. I hope you're the same. I think, or at least hope, that this sermon can be used by God to make that happen. So please share it with someone. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I also hope it will be used by God to change the life of someone you know. Today I just want to start by talking about how uh, I think it's funny. I think this is funny. I'm not into debating it. That's not my point today. But traditionally in Protestant Christian circles, we've been really against the crucifix. Like, you know, the like if you knew any Catholics growing up, if they wore a necklace with a cross, like Jesus was on it, right? But like... If you hung out with the Protestant kids like myself, then there's no Jesus on the cross. And I, I think that's a fine debate, if I can get that back in. I think that's a fine debate. But what, what strikes me about it, what's interesting to me about it, is that like Protestants, I feel, a, a seems to be the case, are, are way more focused today on the crucifixion than the resurrection. And while there's like been this, this, you know, we're bothered by you not remembering the resurrection and the jewelry you wear, there's also been like in our churches, at least this is my experience, way more focus on the death of Jesus and way less focus on the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I could be just, you know, like abnormal in my experiences, but for me, hear a lot about Jesus dying for our sins and not a lot about how important it was that he didn't stay dead, except for on that one big day that we call Easter. And I grew up just hearing about the death of Jesus, how he paid for my sins, but not a lot about the resurrection. And part of that, I think, was just, you know, in, in the evangelistic culture of, of my growing up years, probably especially, uh, there was a real push, and, and it's important to get people to understand what what Jesus did, but, but often we forget or neglect to talk about, maybe, forget's probably not the right word, we neglect to talk about how incredibly important the resurrection is. And today in this story we're gonna look at, I, I love this story, we're gonna see just how important the resurrection was, as I mentioned earlier, to this woman named Mary. But here's where I, why I think this is so important. We're going to spend the next several weeks talking about the resurrection. We're not going to quit because Easter's over. We're going to spend several weeks talking about it, and we're going to see it through the lens of these people who he appeared to and why it was so important to them, I think. And I think it's important because, because people can view Jesus as simply 
people outside of Christianity especially, this, this moral man who lived an extraordinary life, who was a great teacher, who should be listened to, and all of those things. But, but then we don't really take from Jesus what we need. But others of us who are Christians, like myself, we think of Jesus as the one who died for our sins. That's good, rightfully so. But we forget about the resurrection in our lives, and I do think that it causes us in a very real way to live differently if we aren't considering the fullness of the gospel, only the fact that Jesus died for us, and then forgetting about the fact that he rose again. What I think is important today for you to understand is that the resurrection really completes the story. And if, as, if we live, if we talk as though Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're not, we're not living as though the story is actually complete. We're not living as though the story is complete. And, and this is exactly what happens in Mary's life. Here's how it starts. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. I wanna talk about this woman named Mary for a minute. It's not the mother of Jesus. As it turns out, there's like a million Marys running around in the gospel stories. It's hard to keep them all straight. At the resurrection, let me make sure I get this right, uh, there are like three different Marys that are involved in just the resurrection story. Not one split into three or anything. There's like three different Marys. But this Mary that we're talking about here uh, was a Mary that we know just a little bit about in the gospel stories. This is Mary Magdalene. And the main thing that you need to see before I, I jump to any of it is that in this moment where Jesus, she, you know, he's dead, everything seems lost except to the, about the, for the two disciples I mentioned last week. She's actually at this tomb. She was there. And that is the truth for basically all of what we know about her in her story. Like where Jesus was, she was there. When Jesus hung dying on the cross, there was Mary. When uh, Jesus was dead and had been buried, she came to the tomb. And now after he's risen from the dead, she doesn't even know he's risen from the dead, but his body's not there. She's still there making sure that he gets the burial that he is supposed to get. And, and in fact, I would just point out, because I think this factors in the story, it's really important in Jewish circles, especially back then, that, that bodies were buried correctly. Like this was a really big deal to make sure bodies were buried correctly. And so there was all these rituals. And so she comes to make sure that Jesus is buried in a good and proper way. And she seems heartbroken, in fact, that he hasn't been because the body is missing in her mind. So, wow, like there's devotion here. I mean, while everybody else is running away or just not there, here's this woman who is there. Like she is there in the midst of, of the worst kind of moment centered around Jesus. And what could compel this? And, and we actually we know an answer to that question. It's from Luke 8, 1 and 2. This is kind of in the middle of Jesus' life and ministry, and here's what we read. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and then it goes on to name 
uh, some other women that were also with him. There's hints in the Bible that she was a wealthy woman and a woman that had great influence, but this is the big idea here. Satan, for whatever reason, had gotten a hold of this woman in a very serious and awful way. This idea of seven demons is, is really a way of emphasizing uh, how bad it was. All the women in the Bible says this, the book, it says this, seven is a mystic number suggesting completeness, implying that when the evil spirits dominated Mary, the suffering was extremely severe. This woman had been taken over by Satan's minions and, and, and she suffered terribly. And we don't know what she suffered exactly. It kind of tells us illnesses, but what does that mean? But we do know of other people who are indwelled by evil spirits in the New Testament, and we can see the way that this played out in their lives. Like there's one guy who is possessed by demons, and he doesn't wear clothes or live in a house, and he's chained hand and foot and kept under guard because he keeps breaking these chains. I mean, he is... He is like the crazy person in the town because he is possessed by demons and he has to live out amongst the caves. We know of another boy who was possessed by demons and it threw him on the ground in violent seizures and he foamed at the mouth and he ground his teeth. And we know of another man who was blind and mute because of a demon inside of him. Now let me pause and just say, make it clear, not all of these problems are caused by a demon. Like you can't just go, you know, look at the blind and say, wow, must be demon possessed. But there are cases of all these illnesses being caused by demons in the New Testament. So we don't know what Mary suffered, but we do know her suffering was complete using that numerology of the Jewish world. And it was horrible, whatever it was. And Jesus healed her of this. And it appears in the Bible story that from that moment on, Mary was, this is how I view her, this is just what kept coming up when I was writing on my notes. She was completely devoted to Jesus, just completely devoted. Luke 8, 3 says about the women I already mentioned that these women were helping to support them out of their own means. She's financing the ministry of Jesus out of her own means, her own money. She's giving for his work that he is doing. And so this is like what we know of Mary. Terrible suffering at the hands of demonic forces and Jesus heals her and she apparently becomes completely devoted to him, to Jesus. There's a couple other things that legend tells us and I'll just mention them here because they might come up at some point. Uh, some people say that she's the sister of Lazarus, um, which is an interesting idea because he does have a sister named Mary, but again, it's like half the women in the New Testament are named Mary, so uh, you just gotta kinda decide on your own, I guess. And then uh, it's also believed by some that she was the woman who, if you don't know the story, wet Jesus' feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, and then poured perfume on them in Luke 737, Jesus says that this woman will be remembered uh, whenever the gospel is preached. Now, I just really like that idea. Uh, we cannot prove that. We can't know that for sure, but I really like that idea, and I like that idea because it's so in line with the very few things we actually know about Mary, and it points to this incredible and full devotion to Jesus. Mary Magdalene was absolutely devoted to Jesus while he walked 
on the earth. But yet, here she stands at the tomb completely crushed. Now, if you weren't here last week, then maybe you don't know this, but we've read this story. Jesus died and then, and then he came back to life. But the way that we read that at the beginning of John chapter 20, which this story follows, is that two disciples, she, she sees that the body's missing and then she tells these two disciples and they run and they see the empty tomb and one of them comes to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and the other one's astonished and has some level of hope it seems. But here Mary doesn't seem to yet believe that Jesus has come back from the dead and so she stands at the tomb weeping. Now this is, this is not, by the way, in the language of the Greek which this was written and this is not this is not a, a subtle little cry. You know, this isn't like how you tear up when you're watching a Hallmark movie. This is different than that. It's, it's weeping that is loud and noticeable. I've told this story before in sermons, so if you've heard it, forgive me, but the only thing I can compare this to is when my beloved dog, Roy, died. And that dog was like our child before we had children and he only lived to be six and he died very suddenly and he actually we did not even know he was dying and he he basically just started to die uh, like out of nowhere and uh, we rushed him to the emergency vet and it seemed like he was dead as I you know we carried him in uh, and then they came in and they told me that he had died and I fell to the ground and wept I mean loudly I, I was I had scabbed knees from softball and I was bleeding all over the floor and I was crying so loudly in fact that they they had us move rooms because you know it's probably not good when your vet's in for a little you know toenail thing and, and there's a guy wailing in the background but that's the only thing in my own life I can I can compare this verbiage to you probably have your own story where where it wasn't just crying it was wailing it was moaning like it was it, it couldn't be kept in and that is what she feels in this moment because because Jesus is dead in her mind and she doesn't know where the body is and this is what we read as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? She says, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. Now, the angels are meant to be evidence that God is at work. In the other gospels, there's kind of a fuller story of those angels and what they do and all of those things. Um, but uh, Gerald Borchart, Borchert uh, says, the tomb was no longer in the hands of humans. It was at the stage enveloped in the mystery of God. And so here the angels just represent that God is at work. And she does not know how yet, but God is at work. And they ask this question, why are you crying? And it is meant to elicit, not meant to elicit information, but to, to, to compel her to see this thing, that there's no more reason for her to be crying. She doesn't know that yet, but the question is a leading question. Why are you crying? Because there is no reason for her at this point to be crying because as we know, if we're following the story, Jesus has risen from the dead, but she doesn't know that yet. And so she is like, hey, I'm just here to find out about the body, right? And then we read this incredible thing. 
in 14 through 16, it says that this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Now, before we get to the good stuff, I just want to point out that she doesn't recognize Jesus at first. And that's actually really common in the, uh, the stories that John tells us about Jesus appearing to people. And just a side note, just of interest, I think, we read from 1 Corinthians 15 earlier today, and in the fuller chapter there, it talks about how our resurrection bodies will be different. They'll be uh, immortal, and these bodies are mortal. And we get a glimpse of that, it seems, in these resurrection appearances of Jesus, that, that while he's recognizable at some point to these people, his body is not the same. So, just a side note to say that when you go to heaven someday, uh, you can expect a body that is different and better than the one you have right now, which the older I get, the more important that becomes to me. <laughs> And Jesus asked her in this resurrected body two questions. D.A. Carson says, the first, why are you crying, becomes a mild rebuke. The second, who is it you are looking for, becomes an invitation to reflect on the kind of Messiah she was expecting and to recognize that her estimate of him was still far too small. So she's, the, the first question is kind of like what the angels asked, right? Like, I mean, why are you crying? I mean, you don't need to be crying anymore. She'll get that in just about a split second. But that second question is really meant to just drive her to a place where she sees that she has not seen the fullness of this story. The story is not complete in her mind. She is looking kind of for a what, right? Like she's looking for a body and he says, who are you looking for? The implication is there that the what she is looking for is now a living who. And I just want to point out that before we move on, there is this amazing devotion to Jesus. Like, she, I, I think her response is so absolutely incredible. He's like, ask these two questions. She still doesn't get it. But even in her not getting it-ness, if I can say it that way, like this, this, just shows how incredibly devoted she was to Jesus. She says, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Like she is that concerned with the honor of Jesus that he is buried in the right way that she's gonna go drag this body, which by the way, would be incredibly hard for anybody, not to say, and a woman maybe specifically to just pick up a dead body and carry it back to the tomb and you know do all the spices and everything. Like almost an impossibility for this woman who is there. And yet, she doesn't even think about that. She just wants the honor of Jesus. She wants his burial to be right. Now, I want you just to consider for a second that this woman is absolutely, completely devoted to Jesus in a way that, that I want to be more like. And yet, she's completely and utterly devastated in this moment we are encountering her in John chapter 20. Devoted and devastated at the same time. And we're gonna see in a minute how the resurrection flips that for, but I just want you to pause there and think that often we can be this way for the reasons I mentioned earlier. 
for those outside of Christianity, people can look at Jesus who have not accepted him as savior and they can think, what a great moral teacher. I love that guy. I'm gonna try to live like that guy. I wanna be like that guy. I'm gonna learn from that guy and still not have any joy. But also those of us who are Christians, if we only think about the death part of the story, then we're just like her here. I am totally sold out to Jesus. I'm gonna live for that guy. I do believe he died for my sins. But I don't experience any of the good stuff that I read about in the New Testament. And I think it's because we forget all that the resurrection accomplishes. And that's what happens for her. Listen to this. He just says, Mary, Mary. It brings to mind John 10, three through four. It says this, he calls his own sheep by my name and leads them out. They follow him because they know his voice. And as soon as he says her name, she recognizes him and she knows that he is alive. She cries out, Rabbi, which means teacher. It's not this grand statement. It's not like, you know, this, this wonderful statement about Jesus deity or you know miracle working or anything like that I'm kind of amazed by that all that we've seen in the book of John right like he's the uncreated creator he's king of kings he's all these things and she just picks teacher but she recognizes that's the point here she recognizes that it's the Jesus that she is devoted to and she falls on the ground in tears crying out she cries out teacher and what I want you to understand today is that it's the resurrection that turns our mourning into joy because the resurrection accomplishes so many things that Jesus death alone would not have accomplished for us it helps us I mean it gives us it gives us a chance at brand new life it's the thing that gives us hope Hope now, but hope for eternity. It's the thing that lets us know that no matter where we are in our own story, we can always go another direction. It's the thing that that can turn everything around for us and give us hope and peace and joy and love and forgiveness and all of it. Now, the death is a part of the story too, but it's not the fullness of the story. We must remember that Jesus got out of the grave, and it is that that singular recognition in Mary's life that changes everything for her. She is a devoted follower of Jesus who is devastated. But all of a sudden she sees Jesus resurrected and it's pure joy. It's joy. I think that all of us, we need to be people who remember the resurrection. Like when we just get stuck thinking Jesus died for my sins, I think it can, it can just cause us to just almost make Christianity, you know, this legalistic thing that we have to do. Like Jesus died for my sins and I need to avoid those sins. And that's, that's what, I mean, I think if I, you know, if I knew nothing else about the Bible, if I just listened to Christians and the way we talk about the gospel, like that's, that would be it for me. Jesus died for my sins. I should try not to commit those sins anymore. But the resurrection says, 
yes, Jesus died for my sins and also I shouldn't try to do those things anymore. But he he has accomplished so much for me. He's given me a brand new life. He's made it so that that I have a family and my family is the church, but also God is my father and, and, and I have this joy that comes from knowing that Christ has been victorious on my behalf. Like I'm not trying to win the victory in my own efforts. The victory has been won by what Jesus did for me and I no longer have to earn my way into heaven or relationship with God or righteousness. That has been earned for me. Now I just believe that Jesus died for my sins and came back from the dead. It also means that someday I get to go through the same process as Jesus. When I breathe my last breath here, I will breathe my first breath in an eternal state that will be far superior to anything that I know here. I'm telling you, like if you just live thinking about how Jesus died for you, then you're gonna miss so much joy that the resurrection brings. Jesus didn't stay dead, he got out of the grave and this is what brings you hope and new life and joy and all of these other wonderful adjectives. I also need to say to everybody here that it's very fascinating that Jesus first appears, this is his first appearance if you weren't paying attention, to a woman. And in fact, I'll say this in a minute, but she becomes the first, the first evangelist of Jesus' resurrection. And I think this is important, and no, like basically no author I read glosses over this. Everybody takes notice here that this is unique in the story of the Gospels because, for many reasons, but one is that mainly women were just not seen as equally important or valuable in the society in which Jesus lived and when he shows up to a woman first it's just hard to miss this in the story it's as if he's saying this is for everybody this is for everybody even the people that you deem less important or valuable this gift is for everybody and in doing so what does he do what does he do he actually elevates the place of women in society as he's done throughout the entire ministry that he's done in his life he's not just elevated the place of women he's elevated the place of people who are handicapped he's elevated the place of people who are uh, of different races he's elevated the place of people who are poor he's elevated the place of people who are sick he's elevated the place of basically everybody who is disenfranchised in society and he does that again here the NIV cultural background study says women in Jewish society did not typically carry important roles which makes their involvement in Jesus ministry more radical than normal for the time they lived in In every stage of his steps on earth, he modeled love for all, even the least in society. And by the way, not only was she a woman, but she was a woman who had been possessed by demons. And I imagine, I don't know, I've never been possessed by demons, but I can imagine that that would be a hard thing to overcome as far as your reputation goes. I mean, like we look at it and it's easy to gloss over that, right? Like, oh, she, you know, demons and then Jesus healed her. That's really cool. She became Mary Magdalene. We know about her. Like she's in all the movies and all the shows about Jesus. But think about like, here would be the question. Maybe I'm a jerk, but here would be like, what did you do that opened you up to being possessed by seven demons? And I can guarantee she carried that around for the rest of her life. Her family, her friends, Her neighbors, they all probably still looked at her as this woman who had been possessed by demons. And Jesus 
shows up to her first. And then Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Quick note, just for those of you that are interested in deeper Bible study, verse 17 is a hotly debated verse in the New Testament, and uh, there's a lot of different nuances, but I'll just give you uh, the quick way of understanding it, because I don't think it matters to the overall point, but uh, for those of you interested, Mary doesn't want to let Jesus go, and really, it's a fight to have things go back to the way they were before, and when Jesus says, don't hold on to me, he's in essence saying, hey, Things aren't going to be normal. They're not going to be the same. Hopefully she hears in that. They're going to be even better for you. And so go tell the other disciples. Um, Gerald Borchart that I, Borchert, uh, that I mentioned earlier says this about that. You cannot take control of Jesus, but you can acknowledge him. And so Mary becomes the first recorded witness of Jesus having risen Again, I should mention that women's testimonies, I think this is a big point for the validity of this story as being a real and factual story. Women's testimonies were actually not allowed in the court of law, in a court of law at the time in which this was written. They like, were not counted. Like if there was an eyewitness woman not getting into court, judge says, nope, you can't do this. And for me, it is difficult a lot of reasons that I think we should trust this story in the Bible of Jesus' resurrection. But one is, a bunch of men would not have said that a woman was the first to witness the resurrected Jesus if it just wasn't that way. Because I got to go out of the world now and say, like, here's how it went down. This woman saw it. And people are going to be, like, stricken from the record. You know, like, I mean, that doesn't count. She's a woman. But I think they wrote it that way because it's the way that it happened. This is what happened. This is, again, and I've said this throughout this, this time through the book of John, this is not like just some guy writing this story down for us. This is an eyewitness who is telling what they've seen and heard about this man named Jesus. And here he's saying that there was this woman named Mary who was completely devoted to Jesus, but yet she was completely devastated by his death. And the only thing that turned her devastation into joy was seeing Jesus, was seeing Jesus alive again. And by the way, we have the same mandate as Mary. She says, he's, Jesus says to Mary, go and tell the disciples what you have seen. And, and as Christians, we have that mandate. We don't think about it a lot, but we have the obligation given by God to go and tell people what we know about Jesus. We gotta do it. We gotta go tell people about Jesus. Jesus and the fact that, and this is where we sometimes miss, that Jesus died for their sins and Jesus came back to life. To bring it back together, Jesus was an amazing man and I want all of you to hear this. Learning from him is great. Following his example is great. But the only thing that is going to turn your mourning into joy is going to turn your fear into peace, that is going to turn your death into life, is coming to believe that he rose from the grave. That's it. 
It's only belief in his resurrection that's going to change those things around. Now listen, listen, this is so important. It doesn't mean your life is going to get magically better. I, I just, I know that maybe I harp on this too much in my sermons, but it's just so real. And I don't want anybody to walk away going, man, Mary never had another problem again because I'm sure she did. And guess what? She died. Uh, so at some point, like her life ended, but she got to go to heaven. And I can tell you, that from this moment on, there was something different about her, I guarantee it. And there was a peace that transcended all understanding, and there was joy that went above her circumstances, and there was hope that could not be taken away, no matter you know, how many of these friends of hers that she had followed Jesus with were killed because of their belief in this story. Like She had something different inside, and it came because of the resurrection. And then for those, and so for, I would say to any of you who have not become Christians, who have not come to believe in Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know that you can like Jesus, be interested in Jesus, but it's, he's not going to change your life until you come to believe in the resurrection. But for those of us who have been Christians a very long time, there's a couple things that I think are, are just so important. And, and the first is that we need to be people who remember the resurrection, and we need to allow that to affect our lives. If I constantly am only thinking about how Jesus died for my sins, then I believe we will fall into the trap of just saying, Jesus died for my sins, it's kind of a depressing story, but I'm glad he did it for me, but that's kind of a depressing story, and I'm just going to spend my whole life only trying to not commit the same sins that led to Jesus being on the cross. All that is a good thing, but that's not the full story. You have to remember that Jesus came back from the dead, and I think that one of our great problems is that we lack joy in Christian circles, and we lack hope in Christian circles, and we're not as excited about Jesus as we should be because we don't think about how we came back from the dead. That's an amazing part of the story, and the only part of the story, uh, you know, as far as his life goes, that, that everybody else doesn't believe. Everybody believes Jesus died. Only us Christians believe that he came back from the dead, that he rose again. And we should celebrate that and find hope in that and excitement in that because it means that we too will rise from the dead as it, first, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. And it means that we have all of these incredible things. The posture of the New Testament as far as Christianity goes is one of joy and excitement because Jesus came back from the dead. And I think we should have that posture and I would say to all of us who have been Christians, you know, whether for a day or for a long time, that we also should tell others about what Jesus has done, his death and his resurrection. I saw this thing the other day, and I want to share it with you. This is a very practical thing, because I know when I say tell somebody about Jesus, you're probably going to leave, and you're going to not. Um, and so I'm reading this book, and this book talks about kind of these thresholds that, that non-Christians uh, especially millennial non-Christians, go through before they're willing to um, become Christians, before they, they take the full plunge. And, and the first, and this was you know, done through lots of interviews with lots of people who had become Christians but had been skeptics. Like what, they, what these authors found over and over and over again is the first step in a person becoming a Christian was that they trusted a Christian. 
And so if I could give you a practical, like, hey, I, you know, something simpler, something easier for you to think about this week, because I've been thinking about it all week, tell somebody about what Jesus has done, but maybe just help somebody trust a Christian this week. Be the Christian that somebody trusts. Why? Because Jesus died for their sins, and Jesus came back from the dead. And maybe today is the day where Jesus is whispering your name. And I would say respond to the resurrected Christ and fall at his feet and grab onto him and accept him as your savior. Or maybe, maybe Jesus called your name a long time ago and you experienced that incredible rush of joy that is conversion to Christianity. And I would say remember that that same Jesus who called your name however many years ago is still alive and sitting on the throne. And so be excited about that fact. The resurrection completes the story. And so we must remember the resurrection of Jesus. Let me pray we will. Lord Jesus, I'm so guilty. I mean, I, I make sure in every sermon, basically, God, to tell people that Jesus died for their sins. And I kind of mentioned that you rose again but it's so almost offhanded, Lord. I don't make a big deal about the importance of that or how that finishes the story, about how that uh, with your death is what brings the victory, that that is what moves us from the sphere of uh, sin and death to the sphere of, of life and forgiveness and freedom and hope and so many other things, Lord. And, and so I'm as guilty as anybody, and I pray, God, for me and for every person here watching online, that we would be people of the resurrection, Lord. God, I never wanna sugarcoat the fact that you had to die for our sins, that's a big deal. But I also never want to neglect the fact that you also rose from the grave, Lord. And, and God, as I read the New Testament, as I said, like there's so much joy connected to the resurrection. All of your disciples, even the most devoted like Mary, Lord, they were devastated when you died but they found incredible joy in your resurrection. And I pray that we too who are Christians would find incredible joy in your resurrection, Lord. And I also pray, God, if there's people watching, listening here, God, right now that, that have never embraced you as their savior, that they have never come to believe that you died for their sins and came back from the grave to conquer sin and death on their behalf, that right now you would whisper their name and they, God, would fall at your feet and declare you their savior, that they would confess their sins to you, God, and recognize you as the one who can save them from those sins. Jesus, change somebody's life today like you changed Mary's all those years ago. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.